Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having an amazing day so far. I am extremely grateful and excited to be introducing this week's wonderful guest, Miss Sarah Raymond. So little background on Sarah. She is the founder of The Mindful Movement, which she brought to life in 2016 with the desire to inspire others to live mindful, fulfilled lives using self-healing practices, using several skills, whether it's hypnotherapy, meditation, Pilates, yoga, you name it, to help you build confidence in your body, release stress, anxiety, and emotional blocks. I mean, she's guided over hundreds of thousands of people through mindful practices on her YouTube channel and in her private practice. I really appreciated this conversation because we haven't brought someone to just truly talk about mindfulness as a practical practice um, in a very long time, actually. And I loved the refreshers from Sarah. She's so grounded in her own ways and curious, too. I really appreciated this conversation around the contrast that allows to feel the beauty in life, her own definition of mindfulness cultivating courage and how to educate others on mindful practices and mindful living and the work that's necessary to connect safely with your heart. We talked a lot about some beautiful practices, concepts, theories, and really shared some stuff from our own personal lives that I found refreshing. I found really grounding as I'm wrapping up my year and getting ready for 2022, right? Like I think one of the bigger lessons that have come for me throughout the year is really just this this important reminder that my level of calm, my level of groundedness, my my level of uh, connection to myself is purely a product of my practices. And when I am doing my practices, I feel my my nervous system is calm and relaxed. And when I'm not doing my practices, I am <laughs> I'm all over the place. And so I just really appreciated this reminder to come back to our practices. This reminder to practice mindfulness in different ways in our personal lives, in our intimate lives, as well as our professional lives. And I just appreciated Sarah's take on it all. So I'm, um, yeah, just, I can't wait for you guys to enjoy this episode. And I am particularly excited for just what the new year is going to bring. I know 2021, I actually actually going back and listening to old episodes and really getting ready for my yearly reflection and doing all that. And It's amazing what can happen in a year, and I hope you guys are all taking the time to truly reflect and be mindful, and I hope this conversation helps you bring in an air of mindfulness and awareness to just how much has happened in a year, how much you've grown, and how proud of yourself you should be for just making it here all together. So anyways, I want to send you guys big hugs, and without further ado, here is the amazing Miss Sarah Raymond. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having an amazing day so far. I am so excited to have you here, Sarah. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. Yeah, this is going to be a beautiful conversation. I'm I'm feeling it. And I, and when I was on your website, I was really, I was feeling your bio, your about us page. And, and I was resonating a lot with those, with the stories. And, and in particular, what I really loved was, I think at some point in your bio, you highlighted the word, I was doing what I should be doing. Mm. And, and the word should was highlighted. Is there a reason that word was highlighted? I can't remember the exact sentence off the top of my head. I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The exact sentence was, in my early 30s, I realized I was drifting through life aimlessly doing what I thought I should be doing in my career and my confidence was lacking. I think in that context, the should, how can you, can you connect the, what I should be doing with confidence was lacking? I think at that time, it was, I think it was around probably 2015 or so, like, I think my life looked really great on paper. So I had graduated college. I was married to a great guy. I had two healthy kids. I was running a business for the last 10 years. And I actually really loved what I was doing. I was teaching Pilates and yoga and helping people. And that's just sort of like the path that was expected of me. Graduating from high school, I I was like, oh, there's so many opportunities. But I just did what was like status quo without really paying attention. So I went to college, you know, I got married, I had a family. And then all of a sudden, I think I just woke up and said, well, wait a second, how did I get here? (laughs) And did I did I actually even want to be where I was? And what I discovered was, yes, I, I love my life. And there's a lot of great components about it. However, I don't think I really had a role in taking the steps to get to where I was at that time. So that was really when I found meditation and hypnosis. And it was the first time I I really think I stopped living from the neck up, if you will. You know, maybe emotions were hard as a teenager. And so I just developed some coping mechanisms, coping strategies that were all just like, you just do the status quo, you don't pay attention, and you just keep moving forward. And that's how I got to where I was. And so that's the the should. Got you. And I want to kind of go deeper into the idea of, you know, living from the neck up. Can you describe the transition from neck up living to neck not up living (laughs) and how that translates to you know, the idea of confidence and the idea of, of what you're here to do and, and the intelligence that exists there. I believe that when I say neck up, I, I'm, you know, in my head, I'm not feeling the emotions or the intuition or inner wisdom, if you could call it that. I would be making big life decisions about like my career or where my family is going to live or the next step of my education or big, you know, big life decisions. And I would be hearing other people's voices that had strong opinions, but they weren't my voices. They were maybe my husband or my mom or a friend or a mentor. And they, they were just taking residence in my head. And I wasn't really feeling my heart, my emotions, my own like true beliefs 
because the other mm. voices were so loud. And again, that they were telling me what I should be doing. And I wasn't able to quiet those voices and really listen to what I wanted, uh, which I think really, for me, comes from my heart and having a little bit of intuition or... Yeah. You know, it's really beautiful. I've never actually heard it explained that way. Like the neck mm. up voices <laughs> being the voices of all the things you learned. Because I feel like even the mind in itself is like, a, it's a very learning, like you're learning a lot of information, you're taking in inputs and it's forming the way that the mind creates safety and structure and the way that you navigate in the world. And a lot of it is different voices. And it isn't until you get connected with your body or your heart and your emotions that the voices begin to feel more like yours. So can you describe the feeling of your voice? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to like tune in a little bit and and be able to truly answer that. It feels calm. It feels clear. It feels like open in a way. It feels safe, I would say. And and I, I don't think it's always felt that way, but at least today, the work that I've done to be able to tune in and follow my my heart, follow my intuition, it does feel safe if that if that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, safety is the ultimate <laughs> feeling. I think, like yeah. I, for me, it's it feels like home. I kind of describe it like when I'm in the mind, it's a lot about learning. But in, when I'm in my feeling, it's more about remembering. And it's mm. more like I'm settling into something that just sure. feels like, like I can't describe why it feels like the right thing, but it just, I feel mm. it. And yeah. a lot of my discomfort or my suffering comes from trying to disprove it or mm. trying to like deny it or trying to tell myself that that can't be it. Or, yeah. you know, there's so many thought loops that run in the mind that what I should be doing versus like what's true. And I think a lot of my work has really been about surrendering to that truth in my body and really feeling. And, and you said, you, you know, you've done a lot of work to get there. You know, what are some of the tools or practices or even lifestyle shifts that have had to happen for you to, to really connect with that feeling of safety in your, in your heart? Well, I think I started with meditation and some hypnosis practices, which is kind of funny because at the time when I first really started practicing meditation, I had been teaching yoga for like 10 years already. And I was the sort of self-proclaimed non-spiritual yoga teacher, meaning I would focus only on the exercises. And it was very like, you know, westernized in a way. I was like, people are just coming to get their workout in. And so that's how I taught. So I kind of left behind the uh, spiritual lessons, the philosophy, even like Shavasana at the end of the practice was like, okay, I'll leave about two minutes for that because that's what we're supposed to do. And then there was a shift when I started really for myself practicing meditation in my teaching, kind of the the tables turned, if you will. And I really started loving the spiritual part of yoga and, and really finding that uh, even as a teacher, it was very nourishing for me. So that was really, I think, what started the work that allowed me to be present, be aware, be from the neck down, right? Instead of the neck up or living 
in my heart as opposed to my head. And then I think everything really shifted. My relationship with my husband shifted, our communication. Uh, I think how I interacted with my children uh, shifted for sure. I found even like yesterday, my son was having a rough day and he's 15 now. And it's like 15 year old boys want to just spend their time in their room. They don't want to talk to their mom. But I found myself really worried about him because he was not feeling well. And and I'm like, okay, this is his thing. You got to let him do, you know, I'm going to take care of him if he needs taken care of. But he really just, I think, needed to work through whatever was on his mind on his own. And then this morning he woke up and he's like, back to itself again. And I'm like, mm. oh, all right, this is good. What I'm hearing is, and I, and I want to dive deeper into the word work you use, right? Like when I really mm. did the work and in that example, the work was almost like allowing your son to have his own experience, right? Sure. And trusting that even that sort of reactive or maybe that, that like that pull or that push to go and like fix or do was kind of matched with like patience and being and you know like the work is for me that's that's at least my work i'd love to hear your thoughts on it like it's like the the push between like the doing and going 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 and having to like do something versus just like the being and the patience and the allowing it's kind of like that dance of of learning to to be in harmony with with both yes patience is uh, i was just talking to my husband about that this morning it's like one of those things that it takes a lot of reminding, a lot of reflection, or just it takes work, right? You have to remind yourself to be patient. Like, take that breath before you impulsively say something that you're going to regret, or take that breath before you react in a way that is not truly who you are or aligned with what's important to you. And uh, it's definitely taken practice. And I think it will always take practice for me. The nature of doing, I definitely lean in that direction. I was just at a retreat this past weekend and I was having a conversation with um, with one of the teachers there. And you know, he's, he's spent the last 30 or something years practicing Kundalini and really like diving deeper in there. And so he's met a lot of extraordinary human beings that have achieved some level of quote unquote enlightenment. One of the things that he really brought to my awareness was just this like, okay, it's a lot easier to reach that state when you're just in the jungles meditating, you know, when you're just alone in isolation, like it's really easy to get there. But modern day spirituality, modern day mastery, modern day, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. enlightenment is not necessarily about being in that state at all times because if you're doing things in life and if you're adding more to your plate and if you're, mm-hmm. if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a parent, if you, if you lose a friend, if you have a breakup, like these are all really difficult experiences that are going to pull you out. And, and the goal is not to necessarily be in that harmonious state all the time. It's, it's actually to have enough experiences that do pull you out because if you're getting pulled out, that means that you're living your life. That means that you're, you're engaging with life, you're dancing with life. And I just really loved that perspective because I think I get really hard on myself to try and like be perfect in a lot of ways. And I'm like trying to strive for this, like, I don't know, I just want to feel a certain way at all times. And when I get knocked off, I 
the voices come back in my head. It's like the critic, the judgment. Yeah. And they're probably not even my voices. They're probably voices that I learned <laughs> from, you know, parents or school yeah. or culture. Like it's just, that is the work. It's like learning to become aware of that and then kind of change my relationship with it. Right. Well, I think that the beauty of the difference of feeling that wonderful feeling all the time and then having those hard times is that one allows you to experience the other, right? If you only had like a state of bliss, you wouldn't really even recognize it as bliss because mm. you wouldn't have the other side of it to compare it to. And we we need to have darkness to know light and we need to have struggles and challenges to make the amazing experiences in our life really stand out and be amazing, right? You need the, the, the difference to have those, those wonderful moments for sure. Well, the contrast, right? Like the, the duality, it's like, you can't know light without darkness. You can't even know a beautiful friendship without experiencing a shitty one. You know, it's like this, like, it's this weird contrast. And I, I now today in, in, in this moment, just, you know, I feel like I'm finally starting to get to that space where I'm, I'm recognizing the brilliance in the whole thing. Like I, you know, I do my monthly reflections and, and one of the things that I've just really kind of come to be for this year in particular is like all those things that I thought were so hard and so challenging and all those conversations and all those friendships ending and just different things just like forming in the ways that they were have now allowed a different level of fulfillment in the relationships, the people, the opportunities that I'm choosing to engage with. And, and, and I think it's that trust and that patience, right? Like, can you trust to be patient inside of the sucky stuff, knowing that the depth that you allow yourself to feel the suck is going to be the depth that you allow yourself to feel the magnificent and the good. Right. Well, I wonder, you know, if having understood that lesson will now allow you to be more okay with or be more accepting to those challenging times or, you know, experience the trust, the patience, the surrendering. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, like my my girlfriend has a, a quote that she loves from one of her favorite books. It's called The Presence Process. And in the in the book, there's a quote the goal is not to feel good all the time. It's to get good at feeling. Mm. And like, I think that idea really encompasses what we're talking about right now, which is sure. if I just separate the label that I attach to the feeling, it's actually just energy in my body, mm -hmm. right? Like, so even sadness and grief has beauty to it. In fact, when I right. like tears, like, right. Like when I, when I, when I'm around somebody who's sad or crying, like there's a way that their eyes twinkle that I can't actually see in joy there's like this like beautiful, like the watery, like it's, there's something really beautiful about sadness and just sadness without like adding the label of, Oh my God. Like if this person's sad, that means they're suffering. Or if this person's crying, that means that they're going through it. Like the loop is there and that creates this weird experience of it, but by itself and just the way it's expressed, it's just a really beautiful expression of the human experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the stories that we have around all of those, what we might label as negative emotions and the fear of those negative emotions, I think is really what causes the suffering more so than the actual like energy of the emotion, like you said. But I think because 
as humans, we're, we're empathetic. You know, we see someone else having an experience and then it creates or it causes an emotional response in our own body. And that can be really challenging to It is the most with. challenging. It's yeah. the most challenging. I mean, this is when I say it's the work. I love that you use the work because <laughs> I think it is like, it is, it is not easy and it's, and it takes effort. It takes considerable effort to, and willingness really to want to look at those responses and then examine them from a lens that can empower more conscious choice, right? Like I, for me, it's always been about like going from responses or reactions to responses like that's, and that's, I'd love to maybe talk even about just the idea of mindfulness in that way. Like for me, it's been really shifting. That's like been the anchor of like when I'm reacting, when I have a thought that isn't necessarily in conscious, like, like I'm not consciously doing it. Like that's an opportunity for me to step back and just practice mindfulness, practice awareness. And I'd love to maybe have you like, define mindfulness in some ways, because I know that you have the mindful movement and there's a lot of things that you're teaching and, and, and really embodying in that way. But what does mindfulness actually mean to you in the way that you experience it? I would say mindfulness as a practice as a whole is about waking up to the true experience of life. So it's awareness, it's dropping into your physical experience, as opposed to like we've been referencing living above uh, neck from the neck up. It's really being awake to what is happening rather than trying to change it or resisting or just not even paying attention. Yeah. 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 The resisting. I, I want to go deeper into the idea of resistance. What do you think resistance is and like, where do you think it comes from? And does it have a utility inside of, you know, the ways that human beings interact in the world? Sure. So the first part of your question was, where does it come from? Yes. So I think fear, number one, is probably a place that creates resistance, right? We fear being seen, we fear failure or being seen failing. There's so many things that as humans we fear, and therefore we try to control the situation. We resist what's actually happening. And then even a deeper layer, I would say, underneath of the fear is our unconscious beliefs, right? If you have a experience from, let's say, your childhood that you had an, a, a negative response to something that we might call, quote, failure in you know the, the way that our society lives, Right. Maybe it was like a, a bad grade on a report card or, or not performing in sports or whatever perceived failures might be. So you have this failure. There was a negative response from a loved one or someone that was you were supposed to be feeling safety from. Then there's a fear that's developed. Right. We have these behaviors that repeat themselves because our mind really loves what's familiar or and I shouldn't say it loves what's familiar but it the the mind really brings us or keeps us in what's familiar which is why making change is so hard so i think that's where resistance comes from and i love that you said does it have a utility 
that is something I talk a lot about with clients and understanding. I always say what the the beneficial purpose is, but like utility, I, I like that word a lot better because it's not implying fault. Yeah. Right? It's just it's just a purpose. And I do think for sure there is a purpose to resistance. It may depend on the situation or what's being resisted, but generally it allows us to protect ourselves from something, whether it's failure or it's not being rejected or, you know, it depends on the situation, but generally I think protection is probably the biggest, the biggest thing that it affords us. It might afford us just the the feeling of, of safety or control. So yeah, I do think there is a, a purpose for it. Yeah, resistance is really interesting. You know, I, have you read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? No, I haven't. It's a fantastic book, and the whole book is like around the idea of resistance. He speaks about it from a creator's standpoint, like as a writer, writer's block and resistance from doing that, and like the way he described it was like resistance is almost like it's fear that's manifested into a lot of different things that might show up in your day, whether it's procrastination or religion or duty, or like, it's like Mm -hmm. all these things that the mind will create so that it can stay in that state of like sameness of patterns. Like, it's like, this is what I know. Right. But when you're creating resistance is one of those beautiful things. Like he, he flipped it. And what was beautiful about it is like, he actually called resistance the North star. Like when you see resistance as the North Star, it's like, oh, this thing I don't want to do. It's actually an opportunity to examine that resistance and really sit with like, okay, what is this trying to teach me? And like, is this, is this trying to keep me safe or is this trying to keep me comfortable? Which are two, in some ways, like the mind, I think keeps it like uncertainty is the enemy of the mind in a lot of ways. Like, you know, and I think that that reframe for me was really helpful because when I got to that space where I started looking at like, okay, like, safe is this like hey don't go into this water filled with crocodiles like okay (laughs) mind is that resistance is very safe like it's trying to keep me safe but hey raj don't have this hard conversation with your loved one what's the safety in that like is there an underlying belief that's thinking hey if i have this hard conversation i'm gonna be not loved i'm gonna be banished i'm gonna be rejected i'm gonna be you know like so mm. it's created a really interesting sort of compass for me in, in examining those, those like resistance has been a, a, a fan, a phenomenal teacher Sure. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, I, I talk a lot about like a mindfulness anchor. So like choosing something that happens on a regular basis, like walking through a doorway or getting into your car or whatever it is that you choose becomes your signal or your reminder to just take a second, take a breath, pause, check in. And it's like the same thing with the resistance. It's like a a messenger, right? Your body is saying, okay, we need to, we need to take a second and analyze this or uh, just be more aware, more present. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Presence is a is a is an interesting idea too. What do you define as presence? It would probably be something very similar to mindfulness, the, the way that I described that. It's being, not doing, but really being in the moment, like living, enjoying life, or well, maybe not even enjoying, but like just really living, 
in the moment. Mm. I mean, it's a super simple definition, but, you know, I can't think of any other way to, that's just what it is. What does living in the moment feel versus living not in the moment? I always think of like anxiety is the state of trying to live in the future, right? We're planning, we're trying to control, we're hoping, we're we're living in something that hasn't happened yet. And so that brings up a feeling of anxiety. And then the opposite of that would be kind of like depression where we're living in the past, there's regret, there's sadness, there's uh, wishing for something that was different. And then really being in the moment feels similar to what we were talking about before. It feels safe. It feels like home. And it allows you to not experience what's ahead and what's behind and really just be in the moment. Yeah. I think it's like a like when I really feel like I'm in presence or I'm present, like there's this, there's no story that's being projected mm-hmm. and there's no like thing that's trying to be accomplished. It's mm-hmm. like, it, it's more like a, like I'm trying to experience this moment fully. I'm trying to experience yeah. this person fully. I'm trying to experience this, this thing that's in front of me with full awareness. And I think there's this, it's a, it's a gift to yourself in a lot of ways, you know, cause it's, it's, I think one of the most powerful ways to experience more of whatever's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I used to have this, like, I used to be really good at going far, but not very good at going very deep. I think mindfulness and just the idea of being more present has allowed me to connect deeper while also yeah. like, but it's like, Slowing down hasn't slowed me down, if that makes sense. It's a weird, like, it's a weird way of thinking about it, but I, I just really think that even just sinking more into presence, like, it stretches time out, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I'm still actually planning for the future. I'm still doing things. It's just created more, more depth, more connection, more, more presence. I don't know. Like, this ri- richness that yeah. is available if you allow yourself to go deeper. Yeah. And my yeah. breath has definitely been one of those anchors for me. Like, you know, I, I think I've really been going deeper into, you know, breathing intentionally and really, and, and pushing my ability to, to breathe slowly. And, and when I'm not, it's like, when I'm in my anxious state, it's actually, I go back to my breath and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. There it is. Like, no wonder I'm like anxious. I'm just not breathing. I'm like holding my breath. Like, <gasps> And what's so interesting about the breath is like, like you described when you're anxious and then you actually take a second to check in with your breath, then you realize like, Oh, you know, my breath is shallow and you're holding your breath, but being in an anxious state, you know, maybe happened because you weren't connecting with your breath. If you were able to experience whatever may have triggered the anxiety if you had been able to experience that while still practicing this, you know, deep intentional breath, perhaps you might have avoided the, the anxiousness. And I think that's another thing like, you know, I think, I don't think anxiety is necessarily the enemy. I think our relationship with it is, is more of the, like the thing to examine, right? Like I've really been, this has been a, a very recent thing for me, but like I naturally have a very anxious 
pattern. Like I, I get, I have an anxious attachment pattern. Like if I go back to my attachment practice, like, like anxiety is something that actually comes very naturally for me. And, and the more I sit with it, the more I breathe into it, the more I allow myself to feel it, the less of a hold it has on me. I think that's what the, for me, the work really symbolizes. It's this opportunity to reframe our relationship with whatever is. And I think if we continue doing that, if that becomes a practice, like a mindful practice or a breathing practice, or just this moment of pause inside and connection with whatever's here, like, I think that chips away at this sort of mountain of like all the things. And it, it kind of chips away at that wall that keeps you above the neck in some ways, you know, like this little, like this dam. And then once you break the dam, then it's just, you're kind of receiving in a lot a blessing and a curse when that happens because you can't really close the dam back up, right? No. You just have to live with it. (laughs) Well, that's what took me a long time to really start getting connected with my heart. Like I was resisting it because I think I knew in my heart that like there were things that were unresolved that I didn't want to look at, that I didn't want to accept about myself. There were truths about myself I didn't want to admit, you know, like I, and it was easier to actually just compartmentalize it. And it was easier to live neck up because I could actually avoid and and then, you know, I think COVID for me was really a big, I was traveling a lot, doing a lot of speaking and talking and all the things. And then COVID happened and I was stuck. I was stuck in my apartment just and it's just, deal with it. and I'm with it now and there's no escaping it. And I think that reality was true for a lot of people in it. So I, I felt like I kind of had a forced dam opening, like in some ways. And And it's funny how nature works in that way, like provides the right flavor of crisis for you to have the the appropriate level of awakening or opening or whatever word we want to use to call a, a cracking open. So you mentioned, I hope it's okay if I ask you a yeah, question. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that um, when you first started recognizing anxiety in yourself and well, I think, can't remember exactly what you said, but it was like, you just, you come to it naturally, but you found that when you looked at patterns of like attachment and um, and things that led to it, like, what was it that started the inquiry process for you? Was there an event or a... Last year, I got out of a, a nine-year relationship and that really kind of sparked a very deep, interesting journey into myself. That relationship ending kind of cracked my heart open. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if it's same for men and women, but I think particularly for men, there's this really interesting opportunity at that point of breakup where it either hardens somebody and disconnects them even more, or it just opens them up to aspects of their feelings or emotions that breaks them into a whole new way of existing. And I think the latter is what was true for me. Like I, I was feeling more than I ever was. And I was feeling depth and anxieties and fears and shame and resentment and guilt and, and joy and, and all, I mean, like it was like this range of emotions that I had just never accessed before. And I think I was really good at intellectualizing concepts like love. Like I knew intellectually what love was and the intellectual love in my, in my way was very, it was very conditional. Like I had a lot of uh, like, you know, if they love me, this is what they're supposed to be doing. If I love them, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that created a lot of anxiety and kind of the journey from conditional to unconditional and really examining what just a feeling of love is in myself. Like, I think that's what really gave me 
more clarity and context and richness to to me experiencing my emotions and me experiencing whatever was showing up and and that really you know I, I think attachment theory like there's a, a great book called Attached and it talks about like anxious attachment patterns and avoidant attachment patterns and secure attachment patterns and and how do you create more of that and that was a really powerful sort of guidebook for me and and saying like oh, okay like these anxieties that I'm feeling when with my parents or with you know women or anything like it was it was all coming back to this feeling of not enoughness or this fear of being rejected or this idea that I can be abandoned or you know a lot of these constructs that I'd created in my mind and and you know and so I think that's it was difficult I'll say you know really looking at a lot of those aspects but I spending the last few years really going in and clearing out a lot of the the perceptions, the beliefs, the stories, you probably resonate with that, like in just a lot of ways, like going inward and kind of examining all of it and changing them to be something that's in more in more alignment with the life I want to create has has been the most rewarding work of my life, but also probably the hardest. Yeah, yeah. And you did all of that on your own, just with the guides of books? Books. I had coaches. Um, I worked with a hypnotherapist for about a year myself. And, you know, she really helped me navigate that. I had a a men's coach who really helped me sort of navigate just masculinity and kind of stepping into more embodied leadership and feeling and kind of learning how to do that. And you know, I had, and uh, I, I've, you know, I've been going to just communities of you know healing communities and doing a lot of work with people and, and the podcast also like, you know, I was bringing on people that I needed that could support and give me advice. And so I think it was a combination of a lot of things, but I think the willingness to to look at myself and the willingness to go into those aspects of myself that I was very uncomfortable going into I think that was the driving force. The tools were, you know, they kind of fell in my lap as they came, but I think I just had a really deep desire to to experience more freedom. I think I think that was that was kind of the freedom from my mind in a lot of ways. Well, I think that's wonderful. And I, I don't know if you've shared this on the podcast before, but it's my first time yeah, no, it's, and yeah. I appreciate it and your, you know, your willingness to share. I, I do think that, like you said, that that moment of making the decision that you were ready to change, that you were ready to have more and be more is a really powerful kind of catalyst moment, right? Or a, a moment of transformation. And I do find that making those changes that are based in your past beliefs and your kind of habitual patterns is really challenging. Was there anything specific that like helped you to, like, I think of the past as like, it's sticky, like it's always drawing us back to it. Was there anything that like helped you get unstuck? You know, I had a really deep desire for what I wanted you know, especially in relationship, like I traditionally didn't have a lot of great examples of really fulfilled relationships in my life. Like, you know, I had relationships that were great. I had a lot of friends that were in awesome relationships, but I, I didn't have a lot of examples. And so like, for me, I think that was the first step was really seeing examples and finding examples of the types of relationships or the type of life that I wanted, like people actually living it. And so like, that was a really inspiring first step in knowing that, okay, like I'm not there yet. But if I just put in the work and if I learn the right things and if I practice and try and go through it, like I can create that for myself. 
And so I think that faith was really important for me in, in, in driving things. And, and, and this is where it's like, it, you can go at your own pace. Like, I think the past is a comfortable thing. Like things that have comfort are there for a reason, right? And you're not actually meant to just uproot everything all at once, unless you feel called to do that. And sometimes I think there are certain experiences, life will actually give you an opportunity to break open a lot. Like for, like for example, like for my dad, like my dad, you know, last year lost his mom and his sister within a two week period to COVID and they were in India and, you know, he couldn't go see them. And that was a catalyst for him breaking open into like looking at almost every area of his life. Sometimes like life gives you those, I think, opportunities to, to crack open And then other times there's, you know, just aspects of your life that kind of are the thing that hold it all together. Like, you know, like my last relationship, like, you know, that was something that not only looked at what I wanted in relationship, but it was also like, you know, what I wanted, like my attachments to culture and religion. And there were a lot of constructs that were tied into that, that, you know, that one thing dissolving or ending or transitioning created life and opening in a lot of different ways. And so I don't think it's a, I don't think we need to change our past or change our lives overnight. I definitely think it's a, at least for me, I I certainly feel like it's, it's a, it's an unraveling life will unravel. I don't think life will give you anything beyond your capacity to experience. Like it just, it's not the way I think that at least for me, it hasn't been that way. Like it's been hard. It's been uncomfortable, but it hasn't been impossible. I think. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice. Like take, you know, take your time and let it happen with trust and patience. And my husband and I, we met like right before I turned 18. Obviously, we weren't married at that age, but you know, I was like a baby. My daughter is about to turn 18 now, and I keep thinking that she's at the same age that I met my now husband, and it just feels so surreal in a way, but the reason I'm telling the story is that, you know, we were kind of like babies when we met and we had to really grow each individually, but also together so much over the course of the, I don't know how many years it's been over, over 20 years that we've been together. And, you know, we definitely, like you said, have had hard times and we've had struggles and challenges, but you know, like you said, we were able to get through it. Like the universe gives you what you can handle. But I think that that whole process, just looking back at it is really an interesting transformation. It feels like a different lifetime. It's like, uh, you know, I I brought on a relationship expert a few months ago, Andy Drish. And, you know, he talked a lot about like the idea of death cycles in relationship. Mm. And if you want to be in a relationship for a lifetime, like you're signing up for growth. You're signing up for change. You're signing up for you discovering more of you. And, you know, you're kind of dancing between these waves of like codependence and then interdependence where like you're both sovereign free beings, but then you're also like attached. And so as you're growing and others are growing, there's just an awareness that, you know, there's going to be opportunities to die. Mm -hmm. And it's like really, and and really leaning into that with more Mm -hmm. presence and, and not fear. Because it's almost like to anticipate it. It's like, hey, we're going to grow and we're going to change. And I think that's where tools come become really handy, right? Like having the right people or the right knowledge and frameworks to navigate differences and, and those transition points. But I think this is why, you know, at least the podcast, it's for me, it's kind of like, this is like the stuff I wish they taught in schools. Like 
Oh, gosh, you know? yes. It's like mindfulness and awareness <laughs> and presence and feeling and, and the awareness mm. that, you know, relationships are supposed to grow and evolve. And, and I think if we were just set up with that foundation from the get-go, then a lot of these experiences that are so-called or deemed as, you know, hard or suffering or challenges would just be opportunities to grow. And it would be life. It would be life. Right. <laughs> so how are we going to get this into the school system for our, you know, next generation to benefit from? I think it's with a lot of the stuff, you know, like this podcast stuff that you're doing. And yeah. you know, I'd love for you to actually talk about the the mindful movement and like, and how that alone is something that teaches people really to connect with themselves and how they're connecting deeper. I don't know if you want to share a few, a few minutes. Sure. The business itself actually kind of started accidentally. Uh, I was looking for a way to get recordings of meditations and hypnosis out to some people that I was working uh, was working with at the time. And my son, who was maybe 10, I think, or 10 or 11 at the time, he's like, oh, just put them on YouTube. And I'm like, mm, I don't know how to do YouTube. <laughs> like, you, you need to teach me. So he did. He was 11. And he was like, let's just do this, mom. You just... And he does everything so fast with technology. Mm. I'm like, just slow down, you know, and I'm fairly technologically savvy, but I'm like, you just need to slow down and teach me. And he did. And, um, and that's how it all started, right? It was a YouTube channel and I wasn't intending to like share these with the world, but you know how YouTube works and it actually is sharing with the world. So, uh, over the course of the last five years, our, um, I think we just passed 600,000 subscribers. So, you know, reading some of the comments of people that listen to these meditations and hypnosis recordings, it just is enriching and heartwarming to hear like people's lives are being changed. And, you know, the wall behind me is actually, uh, there's a closet on the other side, on the other side of it. And that's where I record. I have like, pillows and quilts up on the wall and it's a little like a little walk-in closet like this big and that's where I'm recording and I'm like every time we go in there I'm like okay you know this could change someone's life and it's just so powerful mm. funny story I'll just be quick but um my son is in 10th grade and um I don't normally talk about my kids as much but anyhow you're talking about your that's, that's, that's amazing <laughs> He's he's in tenth grade, and at the beginning of the school year, he was in the local high school, and they were doing like mindfulness Mondays in their English classes. And his English teacher pulled up one of my videos and had no idea that I was his mom, and and I think he was just like a little like embarrassed <laughs> because he didn't say, "Oh, that's my mom." But he came home and he told me, and I guess one of the other schools in the county uh, did the same thing. And he has a friend who's like, your mom was in our English class. And that like is really, really powerful and amazing to feel that like I could actually play a little bit of a role in helping these young kids to find mindfulness or maybe take some time to work on their mental health and and I think that's really exciting. Although I don't know if just listening to a five-minute meditation in English class will make a difference, but well, I am you'd hopeful. Be, you'd be surprised how how far that goes, right? Like introducing things at that age, that's where, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like it's just such a, like it goes such a long way. And I actually appreciate how much you talk about your kids. Like that shows how much of a, of a, a good mom you are. And I think, 
parenting is is one of the most important roles that I think we all can play. And it plays such a big impact on the way that you know people are raised. I think all the hurt we have in the world right now is because kids weren't given the love that they they needed at those ages. And and I think, you know, that's in a in a new world and a in a future where, you know, everybody's loved and and cared for. Like I just think a lot of the the issues that are plaguing society today aren't going to be as prevalent. And so I love that. And that's why I got I just I so appreciate you. I think, you know, I'm like I, I just love your energy. And I had a I had a feeling this conversation was going to be just lovely. So if anybody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? Is it YouTube? Is it, um, what's the best way to get in touch or thank you or even engage in any of your content? Sure. I mean, you can definitely find um, all of my content on YouTube or themindfulmovement.com is kind of a hub where all of our courses live, all of our content. We have blog articles. If you're interested in you know learning more about these topics that we've talked about today, schedule a session with me if you want. That would be... Mm-hmm great too. I love that. It's kind of like I get to be the mom. Well, it's not really the mom, but a little bit maternal or nurturing for the clients that I work with. And I I love that. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll make sure all of those links are available in the show notes. Sarah, I got one last question for you in the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going. How do you stay grounded? Uh, I I love the name of your podcast, by the way, Stay Mm. Grounded. Um, I, I find that like not being grounded feels like this sort of like swirling, like tornado thing going on in my body and my head. And um, to be grounded, like calms the storm a little bit. But that being said, anything that allows me to tune in to my heart, my, you know, inner wisdom, intuition, like I mentioned before, um, sometimes that's meditation, sometimes it's nature, Sometimes it's acupuncture, which this morning I was spending some time. It's it's cold here in Maryland, but it's sunny. And I just, I was like, I need to be outside. So I went out and like mulched leaves or something. No, just, I just need to be out there and get my feet on the earth. And that, that helps me to stay grounded. Mm, I love it. I love the simplicity of it, right? It's like, we, we try to make it so complicated to, feel safe, but sometimes it is just committing to those simple daily practices that can get us back into our hearts. Sarah, again, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate you and all the things you're doing. And everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Sarah. And from us, stay grounded. We will chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.